Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Don Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Hope your Tuesday is off to a great start. And welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We're here every day, Monday through Friday, from 10 a.m. to noon. You can join us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports or on Facebook at Chatterbox Sports. We invite you to subscribe, which many of you are doing, and we very much appreciate it. And hit the notification switch to let you know when we send out our clips in case you miss anything. On social media, we can be found... On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Tom Brenneman TV. That's Tom Brenneman TV. And as you know, we're available in podcast form. So if you can't watch it, you're driving around, just want to listen to it, out for a run, out for a walk, just sitting around at home, just search off the bench with Tom Brenneman wherever you get your podcast. We hope it will be there. All right, here we go. The Bengals have the day off today after starting their preparations yesterday for this Sunday's game in the Big Easy. Cincinnati opens a one-and-a-half-point favorite over New Orleans. The Saints have perhaps the most unique talent in the National Football League in Taysom Hill. The former quarterback, turn running back, turn tight end this year, had one of the most incredible performances by a player in league history two days ago. He became just the third player since the merger. That's going all the way back to 1970. To rush for 100 yards, run for three touchdowns, and throw for a touchdown in a single game. Somebody got hurt, so he returned kickoffs. He even recovered a fumble on special teams. One further note, Andy Dalton may start at quarterback for the Saints this Sunday. The longtime Bengal has started the last two games in place of the injured Jameis Winston. He won one that was last week against Seattle where they scored 39 and lost one against Minnesota. Monday Night Football, and we're going to get into this in detail in the 11 o'clock hour. AFC West showdown last night in Kansas City. The Las Vegas Raiders taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Travis Kelsey, the UC alum, pride of Cleveland, Ohio, he scores four touchdowns. So we're going to get into that considering that he had seven receptions for 25 yards in the game. He had four touchdowns, two of them from the one-yard line. But the key takeaway here is the final was 30-29. to 29. The Raiders, with four and a half minutes to go, looked to the analytics sheet, which apparently told them, don't go for the tie with four and a half to go. Go for the win with four and a half to go. They made that decision. They failed on a two-point conversion try on a run with Jacobs, and they lose by one. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more in detail as the day goes on. You know by now, because it happened yesterday during our show, the Panthers say adios to Matt Rule, their head coach, after a 1-4 start. He is only three years into a seven-year, $62 million contract. And by the way, in addition, it was close to a $7 million buyout to Baylor from the Panthers to get Rule to leave the college ranks and come in the pro ranks. Steve Wilkes, who you may remember, was a former head coach in Arizona, takes over on an interim basis. 
makes you shake your head. It's one thing when the writers do it. It's another thing when the coaches do it. But despite the fact that Ohio State has clearly, and, and this isn't even debatable, like them or hate them, they have clearly looked like the best team in college football through the first six weeks. Yet the coaches poll comes out yesterday, and they are firmly behind both Alabama and Georgia. I, I don't know what anybody's watching, and that's not coming from an Ohio State fan. Everybody else who just watches a game, including Joel Klatt, who calls football in all the big conferences. He watches every game. I think he's the best college football analyst out there, right there neck and neck with Herb Street. He says it's not even debatable, and it's only through six weeks. But that's a deal. You see, by the way, is 21. Kentucky is a 22. The Major League Baseball Division Series get underway tonight. Last round, it was the best of three. Now we go to best of five. You have Cleveland going to Yankee Stadium to take on the Yanks. You have Seattle against the top seed Houston Astros led by Dusty Baker, who is without a doubt a Hall of Fame manager, but does not have a World Series title to his credit. In the National League, it's Philadelphia in Atlanta. Three teams from that National League East made the playoffs this year. And it's San Diego against the top seed Los Angeles Dodgers. We told you yesterday, the Dodgers and Padres met 19 times during the regular season playing in the same division. The Dodgers won 14 of the 19 games. But this is a playoffs. Nobody gave uh, San Diego much of a chance. In the opening round against the Mets with Scherzer and DeGrom, et cetera, et cetera. And the Padres took it to him. Good morning, gentlemen, to uh, Casey McAllister. Paul Frischner, nice to have you here today, my man. Uh, Brandon's sitting here. I don't know what the hell he's doing, but nice to have you here. <laughs> Tom, great to see you. How are you today? I'm doing great. You guys all right? Fantastic. Yeah. Good. Now, you know, I, I'm going to ask to pick your guys' brains in the 11 o'clock hour, because coming up here in about four minutes, we have James Rapine from Sports Illustrated, all everything covering the Bengals, uh, to talk about what happened the other night? Uh, I know that, that Brandon was sharing with us. He was listening to uh, James' podcast coming in today, talking about should Zach Taylor give up the play calling? That's what everyone was talking about late Sunday night, all day yesterday, Monday. Uh, he was asked about it yesterday, he being Taylor. So we'll talk more about that with James Rapine. Uh, coming up a little bit later on, we'll have our NFL insider, former Super Bowl winning head coach Brian Billick, and he will talk about uh, the decisions made by the Bengals, that sequence in the third quarter. You know what I'm talking about. First and goal from a two, uh, and the decisions that were made in terms of play calling at that point in time. Uh, you know, and, and by the way, you know, I, I've heard from some of you, and, and I love the fact that you're listening or watching but look, you know, you're accusing me that I can't be a fan if, I, if, if we, not me, all of us here on the show, question the play call. Of course you can be a fan. Okay, it's no different than being a fan of a presidential candidate. Okay, whoever it is. I don't care who it is. You can be a fan and a voter for a presidential candidate. But when that person makes decisions, you're allowed to question those decisions. I'm a Bengals fan, but it's our job to sit around here and talk about the team, about players, 
about decisions that are made, in this case by the coach, and that's what we're doing here, is to just get it out there and lay all the cards on the table. So Tracy Jones is coming up at 11.30. That's a must-see uh, podcast, TV, streaming, whatever it is. He's going to be joining us from Mexico. Is James ready to go? Uh, no, not he's yet? not popped okay. in yet. All right. So, fellas, I want to ask you guys, though, in the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to try and walk through, um, and it happened so late, we were unable to get a quote-unquote analytics person on today, <laughs> but we're certainly going to try and do that here sometime soon. Because, look, I don't have all the answers. You guys don't have all the answers. But I, I just want to walk through um, what little or a lot that you guys know about analytics. I kept hearing Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, who I think is the best pair broadcasting the NFL today, and, and they have been for many, many years, kept making reference to the analytics light is on green. So that means we're going here. Well, that's fine. Um, but I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on this decision. And, and we had the Harbaugh decision two weeks ago. Um, we've had some others. Go back to week one. Now, a little bit different situation week one, where um, Dayball, the coach of the Giants, the last play of the game, time it expired, they decided they were going for two in the win in Tennessee. They went for it. They got it. But this one occurred last night with four and a half minutes left in the game. Were you guys surprised they did that? I wasn't surprised. That just feels like the narrative and the way that the NFL has shifted now in football that you just feel like it's a better option to go for it, and especially on the road at Arrowhead to go for it and try and win the game. But the reason that I took a little bit of exception to it was because there was more time on the clock than there generally is when you feel like, okay, we're going to go ahead and win the game on the road. Sometimes yep. when you see that decision, it's with two minutes and 20 seconds left and you don't have all three timeouts, but you might have the two-minute warning. But you're talking about a situation now where you had about four minutes left in the game. You can easily go get a stop if you need to. And I thought, Tom, you made a good point before we went on the air today where you said it, Josh McDaniels after the game was talking about how uh, – we. We didn't feel like we could get a stop. Well, if you didn't feel like you could get a stop and it's a tie game or you're down by one anyway, then it doesn't really make all that much of a difference. And that's what I want to get into, specifically that which you concisely said much better than I did, <laughs> is, is that decision. Now, well, again, we're going to do this at 11 o'clock. I, I don't want this to bleed uh, too much into uh, James Rapine coming on because I'm sure he'll be with us any minute now. He's due on in, uh, in one minute. Uh, and we'll talk about that. Are you guys, uh, you want to take a break first? Yeah. Okay, let's take a break first, and then we'll come back with James Rapine to talk about the Bengals. You're watching Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Uh, it has been a long 48 hours for our buddy James Rapine. All everything covering the Bengals. It's great to have him with us here every single week. We appreciate his time. Uh, James, good morning. I'm not so sure, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, I, I'm not so sure you have had so much to try and think about, ask about, <laughs> talk about, write about, digest, as you did uh, from that game on Sunday night. Is that a fair statement? 
Uh, there's a lot for sure. Uh, you know, I, I, I never say never. I think there's been plenty of times where there's a lot to digest over the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, especially with this offense, there, there's a lot, and there's a lot of, a lot of people that, that share some blame in the Bengals being what they are through five weeks, which is one of the worst offenses in the NFL. I think that's fair to say. All right. Where does that start? Well, I, you know, I, I think it starts, you know, coach and quarterback. And that's just, that's the league you're in right now. The, the best coaches, the best quarterbacks, the best duos in those areas, they win. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, right? So the, the, that's the, the example. That's uh, the blueprint. But you could go on and on with examples of that. And this offense has not been able to figure out cover two, has not been able to figure out this Tampa two. And, you know, one thing that stands out about what Joe Burrow said after the game is, well, if they play like that, we can't get the ball down the field. And that's stuck with me since then. Because if you think back to the 06, 07 Bengals, and that's way back and half of your viewers probably don't remember it, but I remember Carson and Chad and you know, uh, you know, know, guys like that, the offensive coordinator at the time, all these guys talking about, well, if they're playing this way, we got to do this. And at some point, you just got to say, we don't care how they're playing we're going to do what makes us great. And everyone's talking about the explosive plays, and that sounds good. But the other thing that this offense hasn't had, didn't have the other night, is intermediate passes, yeah. 11 to 20 yards. And I think that's uh, as big of a uh, an issue as anything. They don't have those chunk plays that get drives going, that get defenses back on their heels. And so people have talked about the run game or the offensive line or the explosive plays. What about the intermediate passes in the 11 to 20 yard range? I think that's something they really need to find. And, and that's the, the type of play that hurts these cover two defenses that, uh, that teams are using to, to keep them from you know, ex going downfield and going deep and, and having these explosive plays. You know, James, if you look at the first five games this year, you look at the postseason last year, and then you back up, what would that be? Postseason was four games last year. You got five, nine. Okay, so say the final eight games of the regular season last year. So over the course of, of, of what would be a full season, 17 weeks, mm -hmm. 16 weeks, right? When you go back and start digging in some of those numbers, Minus the game against Baltimore, the second game against Baltimore, when they put up the 500 yards of offense and all that kind of thing. Um, the numbers of this offense are not impressive in any form or fashion. I wonder, and you tell me if I'm wondering incorrectly here, I wonder if maybe this offense has not been overrated from the very start of this season. I wouldn't say that by any stretch, really, because if, if you're saying that, then to me, you're saying that Joe Burrow isn't, you know, this, this top five quarterback or Jamar Chase isn't one of the best receivers in the NFL or insert whatever you want to say, Mixon, Higgins, Boyd. Now, they aren't operating like it right now. But I certainly think they have the talent in the ceiling to be that. Uh, the postseason run was was unique because they couldn't block, and and that's why the offense was so limited, and and they really had to scratch and claw uh, to to get through the postseason and make that run that they did. And uh, you know the, the the struggles this year I certainly didn't see coming. 
I didn't anticipate them, you know, averaging 21.6 points per game. It's about five points off of what they averaged last year. But I, I still think they can get there. They got off to a slow start last year, and a lot of a lot of people chop it up to, you know, Burrow's knee and coming back mm-hmm. from that. But he just he doesn't look right, I, I you know, completely right, for, because uh, I think because of this cover, too. He's just not seeing the field as well as you'd want him to. This offense isn't producing the way you'd want it to. T. Higgins has been dinged up, but they should still be good even without T, to be quite honest. And so uh, could you say that right now? Sure, because they've they've underperformed. But I'm not willing to go there yet because okay. there, there's a lot of season left. And I just – I believe in their talent. I, I'm not betting against Burrow at this stage. I think he's going to figure it out and put up huge numbers. I believe in Jamar Chase. I think that the talent on this team is, is really good. And I also think that Zach – Taylor, Brian Callahan. I think they are smart enough to figure it out, but they got to figure it out fast because they're two and three and the season can get away from you pretty quickly. Well, you, you get a lot of debate on, uh, on, uh, from a lot of people right now about how sharp they think Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan are, but, the, but that's neither here. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it is here. It's here and now. Let's talk because about it. Yeah. look, let's get to the Tampa, to the Tampa two thing. I mean, mm-hmm. look, I, I you know, you can go back to Monty Kiffin on this stuff with the Tampa too, and Tony Dungy mm-hmm. and all these guys, right, that started playing this a thousand years ago, James, before you were born. Not before I was born, but before you were born. <laughs> all right, I was announcing in the league then, so it shows you how old I am. But, I mean, look, this is nothing new. I mean, if you are a coach or a play caller or an offensive coordinator, this isn't like some all-of-a-sudden thing that just showed up four weeks ago or five weeks ago and now you're scratching your head trying to figure it out, right? 100% right. And and the thing about it, the thing that to me is so baffling is everyone knew it was coming. Everyone, like you talk to anyone in the league, anybody, not just with the Bengals, and they knew it too, of course. It was, oh yeah, they're going to see a lot of a too deep. There's going to be these too deep shells and, and teams are going to take away Uh, the deep ball this year, and they're going to make them go underneath. And look, I I think defenses have been um, really good at at, at disguising it, making it different, making it tough, and and giving Burrow in in this offense multiple looks. But at some point, you have to solve the riddle and consistently solve it. And we saw flashes against Miami. They were really good against cover two, but there weren't enough. And even then, the offense, they had some explosives that hid what was a, a lot of lulls in their offense, but it's one of two things, either be consistent on offense or have the explosives to make up for it. And they're not doing either right now because they weren't that consistent on offense last year, but they had the explosives. And a lot of people, including myself, chalked it up to the offensive line. I thought the offensive line was pretty good on Sunday night. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that's why they lost. I think you take that performance any day. And, And so it was really all of the other things. And so you're right. Everyone saw this coming. The Bengals knew it was coming, and for whatever reason, they haven't been able to solve it, and they better solve it starting Sunday in New Orleans because teams are just going to continue to do it. And if you watched the the Saints, they put up a ton of points on the Seahawks, but guess what? Geno Smith and the Seahawks scored 32 on the Saints. So you should be able to score against this New Orleans defense. Um, I want to get to the sequence uh, that everybody's talking about, uh, (laughs) first and goal from a two. Yeah. Uh, and the play calling that ensued from there. Um, I'm sitting there watching last night the Kansas City game, and I made the point before you came on the air. 
when you play the Kansas City Chiefs, and I heard Josh McDaniel say it before the game when he was interviewed last night, our goal mm-hmm. is to take away Travis Kelsey. Okay, Tyreek Hill's not there anymore. They have some other nice offensive players. There's no doubt about it. Great quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. But they said that's the goal. Kelsey has seven catches in the game for a total of 25 yards. So by all accounts, you would say if you just looked at that stat without going any further down the stat sheet, that they did an incredible job on Travis Kelsey. Okay? But he is the focal point of the Kansas City passing game. No doubt about it. It starts with him. He scores four touchdowns all inside the eight-yard line. Two of them from the one-yard line. So when you take something like that into account, what went on with the play calling there for the Bengals at the two-yard line on first and goal that they can't put the ball in the hands of somebody who is a playmaker or an alleged playmaker in this offense? Well, they got too cute. You know, I had no problem with the first down play to Hurst. Probably yeah. is a touchdown if he if he doesn't get held and got held. He was mad about it. They didn't call it okay. So you move to second down. You get super cute with the Philly special, and it just blows up in your face. And, it, you know, it's a great play, you know, by by Marlon Humphrey or, or no, Marcus Peters or whoever it was, one of the corners. Yeah, Peter. All right, so the, the third down play is the one good play on this yeah. in this sequence. And guess why? Because they targeted their stud. Because they went to Jamar Chase. And, heck, he, he almost made up for it and got in the end zone. He gets down to the two. And then you run a play for Stanley Morgan. And I like Stanley Morgan Jr. But that is not – it just doesn't feel like that's the time. And the shovel pass idea – I hate the shovel pass. They've ran it multiple times this year. Zach pointed that out yesterday. I don't care. And I know it worked for Tyler Boyd, but it didn't because there was a holding against the Jets, a holding penalty on their first drive. So it didn't work, right? So that it, they haven't had success with it this year. And it was just a, a bad decision there. I go with my studs, and and your stud is Joe Burrow. And whether that's you know rolling him out or, or putting Chase in a one-on-one situation and asking him to go win on fourth down, uh, or, or it is finding a way to get the ball to Joe Mixon, Although short yardage running, I'm not going to riot, even though they had been running the ball well for by their standards on, on Sunday. I'm not going to riot because they didn't give the ball to Joe Mixon on fourth and goal from the two because they've been bad in those situations for the past year yeah. and, and four and a half games. But always go with your studs. And they didn't. A, a shovel pass to, to Stanley Morgan Jr. Again, not about Stanley. Even if it had been to Tyler Boyd or insert whoever else, I just – I don't like the call there. So the Philly special, the shovel pass, shovel pass, both too cute for me. And, and those are the two plays that, that stand out. And, man, getting seven there, it would have completely changed the vibe and the feel of the game. Getting zero there, that's, that's an issue. And there's a lot of people that say kick the field goal there. It depends. If it's target Jamar Chase and finding a way to get him one-on-one, I like that better than kicking the field goal. If it's shovel pass, I'm kicking the field goal 100% of the time. And obviously the Bengals elected not to do that. I mean, I had no problem. And the one thing we try not to do on this show, and I've tried not to do it my whole career broadcasting anything, I I don't like second guessing. I like first guessing. If you're a person that can say, okay, I think they should go for it here as they're sitting there making the decision, don't come back later and say, okay, they, they should have kicked the field goal. 
uh, your, your point mm-hmm. is, is, is valid about the fourth down play call. Um, do you think, I said yesterday, no chance. No how, no way, unless it's mandated from above. Do you think there's any chance Zach Taylor gives up play calling? No. Nope. And look, th- this has been a topic on and off for the past three years and five games, <laughs> right? Is ah, Would it be better if Zach was just managing the team? And would he be better situationally? And all of those things, if he was just the head coach and Brian Callahan was the play caller. The thing that, one, I'll point out is – the fact that Brian Callahan and Dan Pitcher and this offensive staff, it's a, a collective effort. It is not – Zach does not run a dictatorship from that perspective. I, I Not that he doesn't have the final say. Of course he does. He's the head coach. But the game plan to insert the shovel pass, they all looked at that. And, and so that was in the game plan. And it might not have been the play that they were for sure going to on, on fourth and short when they needed it or on the goal line when they needed it. But it was one of the three or four plays that everyone signed off on to put in there. And, and so that's the part of it where it's like, <clears throat> and Zach made this point yesterday, it's a collective effort. So whether I'm calling the plays or Brian's calling the plays, odds are a lot of it's going to be the same. And the other thing is, if you look historically, very rarely does changing the play caller change much. And, and it's more of a an act of desperation for a coach mm-hmm. that's on the hot seat. And, and so... I'm not there yet. You know what I am, though? They all together have to get a hell of a lot better. And it certainly starts with Zach, but they all have to be better and and find a way to get more production out of this offense. And however they need to do that, whatever it is, it's their job to find it. I'm not going to say – I could easily say, oh, well, run more plays than Jamar Chase or do this or do that. Not my job. All I know is is 21.6 points per game is, is way too low. That, that's what an offense that doesn't have Jamar Chase or T. Higgins or Joe Burrow or Joe Mix, that's what they should be putting up, not an offense that has those guys. Um, you know, we, we, we talked about uh, when, when, when Burrow came out after the Miami game and was just, you know, effusive in his praise of the offensive line. It's the best they've ever played. I had windows to look yeah. around, all that kind of stuff. And, and we came back on the show and said the next day, which is a big duh, that, that the offensive line is judged by, yes, pass protection. They give up 13 sacks the first two weeks. They have given up, what, two one-and-one, one, I think, in subsequent weeks. So that's been considerably better. The other part is how well you run it. They did not run it well until the other night, where they ran it very, very well. If you take out the one carry by Jamar Chase, uh, the three carries by Burrow, Mixon and Pirine ran the ball very, very well. Um, and so, you know, hopefully that's trending in the right direction because I thought Mixon looked good the other night, really good the other night. Um, I asked a question yesterday, um, and you're around him every single day, and whether it's a little exchange over there with Collins after the fourth down shovel pass, and, you know, I, I guess he blew an assignment, you know, hearing your stuff and, and reading other stuff, that's fine. But you go back to Mixon last year, right, in the Super Bowl, where third in a yard, fourth in a yard, this guy's not even on the field, nor was he the other night. Do you sense that some of the players at all yet are looking around going, what's happening here? No, I don't. And that doesn't mean that that won't happen. And I I think that's why – 
you better get it changed quick because the difference between last year and this year is the expectations, right? You know, it is the fact that they're thinking about rings and, and winning division championships. And it's a realistic thing that they've done and seen. And so now you expect to do it. You've done it once, guess what? You expect to do it again, especially because this team, I think, is more talented than last year's team. So nothing yet, but it happens. It happens in any field eventually if you continue to struggle and hover around 500 and you know win and lose. And so you look at this stretch now where you have the Saints and the Falcons and the Browns and uh, you know all the, the Panthers are up and then the Steelers. This is a five-game stretch against teams that you should be better than. And I know it's tough in Cleveland and you might not have DJ Reader on. It doesn't matter. They have to make up some ground here and kind of separate themselves from the mediocre. Because if you go into, you know, the bye, hovering around 500, that's just, it's going to be tough. The back half of that schedule is really, really tough. And you're going to be playing a lot of good teams that are battling for the one seed in their respective conferences. So they uh, they need to get it, get it straightened out quickly. Or I, I do think that's what's going to happen. Some finger pointing, some questioning, some, you know, chatter. It's not there yet. They're a strong-willed locker room. They're resilient. That's why they went down and scored. I really didn't have a doubt the other day, by the way, uh, when they got the ball, you know, midway through the fourth quarter, that they'd go down and take the lead. And, and I turned to, to Mike Petralia, one of my colleagues, uh, CLNS, and I was like, look, Mike, they're going to lose 19-17. to 17. They're going to go score here, but there's too much time. And that's exactly what happened. And when there's Justin Tucker on the other side, it's uh, – it's tough because you, you know what your fate's going to be if you give up those yards. You know, I I wonder when you're sitting in there, and uh, I'd love to be able to get down there, but he has them at a time where I can't and we're doing this show because, uh, you know, being so heavily critical as I have been of Taylor, uh, I'd love to be able to get down there and just show my face. But, 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 but right now that's not going to happen. Maybe there's some other time to do it. But are, are you – when he's asked questions about these very particular decisions, mm-hmm. from when I watch and listen to the press conferences, it strikes me, and, and I think you guys down there, you guys being the media, uh, have been very, very fair and, and in these last few weeks uh, have really challenged him on some of this stuff, but it never seems like you get a straight answer on it, or at least an answer with any kind of depth to it. You know, something like, well, we're learning from it. You know, and look, I'm all open to everybody learning as we go through life in every area of our lives. That's fine. But does he ever say anything that has some depth to it in answering some of these questions? There's little nuggets and morsels, but I, you know, I I think Zach, one thing he has learned is to uh, coach speak better and improve on that throughout his years as the head coach of the Bengals. So if you look back at 2019 versus the way he is now or 2020 versus the way he is now, he's just been tested more and learned what what to say, what not to say, and how to uh, dress up certain things. So I'm not shocked by that. You know, it's, it's part of his job. It's our job to uh, ask tough questions, uh, not necessarily the ones fans want us to ask or how they want us to ask them because people are like, oh, why are you still the play caller? Well, we're, we're not going to go in there and do it that way. That's just not how it works. But You know what, James? On that I, note, I don't mean to interrupt you, but, but explain that because, you know, 
I, I think that's exactly what a lot of fans would like someone that's sitting sure. in that room to ask him. But any of us who have been in that position where you're working with someone on a daily basis, and, and let's face it, you need him to, you know, a, a lesser or larger extent, depending on who the person is, you do need mm -hmm. to have some kind of a relationship with the guy. So you can't just go in there, you correct me if I'm wrong, um, and, and start hammering away uh, and peppering him with questions that maybe he doesn't like. Is that fair to say? Well, I don't, I don't think of it from that perspective necessarily, um, you know, of whether Zach likes me, and I'll speak for me or not, but it's about asking it in a way where you're actually going to get something useful and, and get, get, try to get a straight answer. And so if you just go in there and say, why are you still the play caller? Well, yeah. You're going to get a two word answer. Right. And guess what? I'm not, you're not going to be able to use it on anything. Yeah. Um, unless he just rips you, which that's not his style. And so if that's the plan, well, good luck. I, I just, I, I think that that's the part of it. The goal is, is to get answers. And, and so how you, ask the question right just like with this the way you're asking me questions is you're trying to get answers and get my thoughts on things and so you you do it in a way where you think you're going to get better answers and it's not much different there now you're right you don't want to be just confrontational every week and you know just because and by the way if you know the other part of it is is he thought that that was the best play in the moment and one thing Zach has admitted throughout his time in Cincinnati is when he thinks he got it wrong and in hindsight he would take it back. And so I think he's done a good job of you know, being uh, honest about that in, in certain situations, including earlier this year. But yeah, there is a balance there. And, and it's, it's not about him liking you necessarily. It's about getting the, the, the best answers and the most honest answers in the moment. Okay, turning the page real quick, and we'll let you get out of here because I know you're busy. Um... The New Orleans Saints, uh, Tiggin, uh, Higgins, T. Higgins went out and, and warmed up before the game. They kept him active for the game. He gave it a go. God bless him, uh, but it didn't work out. Do you suspect that he's okay, and where are we with Jonah Williams, who left the game, put on the brace, came back and played, give the guy a lot of credit for that? That's a gamer in my book. Uh, those two and anybody else the team needs to be concerned about with a number of days before the New Orleans game. It's going to be tough for both guys in my eyes. You know, uh, T. Higgins was trying, but uh, just thinking back to the Friday after the Dolphins game, he was limping pretty severely on that left ankle. And I watched him go through warm-ups on Sunday, and I thought he was okay. You know, I thought it would it would be fine, but there's a difference between going through warm-ups and then really having to cut and plant and stop and start and all of the things that come with playing receiver at a high level in this league. And I just – I don't think he was ready for that. So – We'll see on him. I don't anticipate him practicing a ton this week. I think they'll try to rest it, give him treatment, and see if they can get him as close to 100% as possible so he can go. With Jonah, the MCL is is tough. That's that's a real tough one to, to come back from. And it's it, not that it's something that he can't play through eventually, and, and, and you want that knee to be stabilized. But it's basically that, that your, your knees are pointing together. It's the muscle right here mm -hmm. uh, inside your knee. Um, and so it, it's really easy to tweak it. Uh, it's, it's real easy for your knee to feel a little flimsy, and I'm sure it's really, really sore today. I've done that a couple of times, and I'm not playing in the league, of course, and I'm not 300 pounds and trying to block these guys. So 
we'll see on him. I, I don't think it'll be a an IR type of situation necessarily, but if it's any sort of you know grade two or anything like that, I think it's kind of hard for him to, to play this week and going to be tough. But if it's just a real minor thing where it's sore, but they can get him treatment and brace it up, I think he's got a shot to play. It just depends on the severity of how bad he tore it. Because I'm sure any sprain, MCL sprain, there's slight tears in there. And it just depends on how many there are. All right, James, we thank you for your um, your uh, in-depth analysis. And it's the best there is out there of the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Have a great week. And we'll catch up again sometime next week. Thanks a lot for your time. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Tom. All right, James Rapine. I mean, th- this guy is completely dialed in. Um, <clears throat> I mean, if you just follow this guy, and, and, and he, had, he had the video of T. Higgins the other day uh, warming up down in the field that he just talked about. Uh, he knows everything going on down there. I'll tell you one thing, one guy, and I wanted to ask him, but I know we had kept him for a while. Um, I, I'm, watching the, um, I'm watching the Raiders game last night, and they're running the ball like crazy, right? Jacobs is having a monster game, and there wasn't a single running back through the first four weeks of the season that it rushed for more than 60 yards against Kansas City. And, I mean, they are blowing holes open last night. And they kept putting in this rookie, Thayer Munford Jr. Now, this guy started for three years at Ohio State on their offensive line. Okay? I mean, pretty good team, right? Pretty big-time program. He doesn't go till the seventh round in the NFL draft. Why? I have no idea. But... I went back and started digging around a little bit uh, last night and, and watching they bring him in as an extra offensive lineman. He's killing people, killing people, right? Busting open holes as the extra offensive lineman, getting through the first layer and blowing up linebackers and all this stuff last night. And I'm thinking to myself, a seventh round pick. So I start digging around a little bit. He started three games this year. He started at right tackle. He was the highest-rated rookie offensive lineman in the NFL for two weeks in a row, stepping in. Now, I know they have a former Ohio State. I'm assuming it'd be Isaiah Prince, right, who starts at left tackle if Jonah Williams can't go? Yeah. Right? Uh, Yeah, that's right. Now, I mean, Prince has taken his lumps. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I, I just sit there and I say to myself, well, this guy's right up the road. He was a 238th pick in the draft, and he's starting in the NFL. I mean, why don't you take a, a fifth or sixth round pick on a guy like that if for no other reason than he was a three-year starter at a major, major powerhouse school? I mean, the same thing can be said for somebody at Alabama or at Georgia or at Clemson. You know, of course, they thought that about Jackson Carmen too, uh, and that didn't work out so good. Yeah, I mean, uh, for the Bengals' perspective, I mean, they did address the other guard position with Volson, and he struggled a bit early, but he played like Cam Hayward. You know, he he played really tough defensive lines. He's been pretty good. He's been pretty decent since then, Um, especially last this last Sunday. He played pretty well against the Ravens. I mean, we already talked about how they were blowing open holes for Mixon and for for P. Ryan. So, I mean. I do get what you're saying, though. Like, why why couldn't we just take a flyer on him? I can't even remember what our seventh-round pick was. I, I don't either. And I'm not suggesting that anybody else would remember that Munford was the seventh-round pick. And the only reason I went back and looked at it is because I'm watching him on TV last night. 
And they say, oh, that's Munford. And I'm like, oh, is that the guy from Ohio State that was here all day? So I start digging around and looking up. And I'm thinking, oh, well. I mean, if you're not happy with Isaiah Prince, well, they addressed the right tackle situation in free agency. And look, all this is hindsight 20. I'm not even going to get into it anymore. It's a waste of time. All right. uh, When we come back, we are going to talk a lot about this stuff uh, with Brian Billick about some of the decisions made by Zach Taylor the other night. Uh, When you're a head coach and you're standing there on the sideline, we're going to ask him, what's sort of the noise in the headset? You got offensive coordinator. Uh, Brian Billick was a play caller. Uh, When he was in Minnesota as offensive coordinator, they broke every record known to man for yards and points and all this kind of stuff. Randy Moss and Chris Carter and that whole group. Uh, And then, of course, he went on to Baltimore where they won a Super Bowl. Uh, and he didn't have some great offensive players. Uh, and, and yet they still won a Super Bowl because of a great defense and a good enough offense. Well, this Bengals defense is not the Ravens defense of old, but it's good enough to be winning games, and they're not winning games. So we're going to talk to him about that and about some of the other things going on in the NFL. When we come back, it's Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. We are grateful, appreciative. And fortunate to have our NFL insider, former Super Bowl winning head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, Brian Billick. Coach, hope you're doing well. And look, uh, we got to get right to it here. I know you watched the Sunday night game. I don't know if you stayed up for the whole thing. Uh, Here in Cincinnati, people, uh, all of us collectively, me included, uh, are just losing our minds over the play calling Uh, First and goal from the two in the third quarter. Um, Now, I have to ask you, and I'm not going to sit here and ask you to to second guess or first guess, maybe as you were watching. But walk me through when the head coach is a play caller. And and there are other people that can hear what the call is going to be. On a night where you're running the ball really well for the first time all year long. And you decide you're going to run a double reverse with the wide receiver throwing a pass on second down and goal from a two. Is there ever a time where somebody, you know, sort of jumps on the headset and says, Coach, and I'm being serious when I ask you this question. Is there ever a time where somebody who's not the head coach would jump in and say, is this really what we want to do here? Or can the quarterback ever kind of say, is this really what we're doing here? Yeah, kind of like a, a good uh, uh, catcher with a pitcher, just, you know, wave him or a pitcher can wave off the catcher. Uh, I guess there should be. I can't imagine that circumstance. I mean, for a head coach that would, you know, hey, guys, uh, anytime it really sounds like I'm going to do something stupid, you just chime in and you let me know. I mean, this is the type of thing I'm sure when you have that kind of play in, and it's we talk about it all the time, it's always viewed through the prism of whether it works or doesn't work. If it works, you're a genius. If it doesn't, you're the village idiot. Um, that type of play there, yeah, the fact that it didn't work, yeah, it's really easy to look at and go, I don't know that you should have thought of that in the first place. But understand, this play was was after looking at film, was discussed among the coaches, decided what they want to do. This is one of the options you were going to have there. It's on the play sheet all, all week long. You've practiced it at least a couple times in the course of practice. So it's been there. And and if there was ever a time for someone to say, 
boy, do we really want to think about this play in that situation? It would be then, not on game day. So, yeah, that's, that's a tough one there, um, you know, to, to, to run that deep. You don't see that that often. And uh, a lot of things that can go wrong with that. And, again, if I got Joe Burrow, you know, who do I want throwing the ball, you know, the wide receiver or Joe Burrow? I think I'd stick with Joe Burrow. Well, you know, and Brian, I think you can you can move forward two more plays in the sequence where I had no problem at all, and I said this, uh, I didn't like the decision made by Harbaugh the week before. I had no problem with Zach Taylor going forward on fourth down. But here you have an offense that, as I just mentioned, for the first time all year long, they're running it. Mixon is averaging almost six yards a carry. P. Ryan's averaging six yards a carry. They only run the ball with those two guys a total of 19 times in the game, and they throw it 35. But that's for a different discussion at a later time. But on fourth and goal from the two, they decide to run a shovel pass to a guy who has not touched the ball on offense the entire season in Stanley Morgan. You've got Mixon. You've got Chase. You've got Tyler Boyd. You've got Hayden Hurst, who all of a sudden is really starting to evolve in this offense. Do players start to question a coach when the second down play is called and then the fourth down play in this case is called? Do players start looking around based on your experience and say, what the hell is going on around here? Yeah, particularly if it doesn't work. You know, players are the first to jump on the bench and say, hey, I, I confess he did it. You know, they're always going to be looking for an excuse to for why things didn't turn out well. You know, a shuffle pass down there is not that, – that's a little bit different than reverse because of the upfield charge and the way he probably had some options as he came out to either shuffle it or, or go to the outside. It's not a bad call. You know, it's a, it's a play that you see a lot. So all in all these situations, yeah, you can always second guess – you know, what is you're doing and is there better ways? Is there more straightforward? You know, if, if as well as they were running the ball and they'd have just on first down, pound, second down, third down, and not gotten it, would be on the – would be going, what are you thinking running the ball three straight times? Why can't you – you know, so there's always – it's interesting. Goal line calls are, are interesting because defensively, it's, it's binary. You're either all out to stop the rush – or you, you're more passive and, you, and you're expecting a pass. It's one or the other because you can't. And if and if you're in there to stop the rush and, and you throw a pass, you look silly because three guys are open. And if you're a little backed off thinking, okay, we think they're going to throw here, and you run the ball, then you run it right down your throat. But on the goal line, because of where it is, it, it's all or nothing. And so it's a 50-50 proposition. If you happen to be running it when they're passive, you're going to score. If you happen to be running it when they're when they're shoving everybody up into the into the gap, it's going to be tougher. So, you know, but all in all, I think the Bengals played a, a really good game on the road. I mean, they, 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 like you said, they ran the ball very well. They kept the Ravens from dominating the time of possession, which the Ravens are obviously known to do with that offense. They actually had the ball more than to the Ravens. And you know what a huge advantage for the Ravens, uh, un, uh, you know, under the radar to a degree. Everybody knows he's the best kicker in the NFL. But to know in your back pocket, if I need it, I don't have to go to the length of the field to score a game if all I need is a field goal. If I can just get to the 40 or 45, I can win this game. What, what a huge, huge asset uh, Tucker is for the Ravens. Um, 
I want to ask you about a couple of teams are you buying or selling. Let's start with the Giants. They go to London and they beat Green Bay 27 to 22. They outscore the Packers 17 to 2 in the second half. Are you buying the Giants? I think you have to because we, we talked about the last couple of weeks, the way they're running the ball. They ran the ball very, very well, more than 125 yards. on, And they're stuck with it with 30 carries. Green Bay, compared to last year, or excuse me, last week, didn't run the ball as well. And and Aaron Rodgers was, you know, typical and throwing it around and, and with two touchdowns. But Daniel Jones, 21 of 27. I mean, he can afford to be very prudent about what he does and very judicious when you're running the ball the way they are and they're playing really, really good defense. So, yeah, I don't think there's any question that the Giants, you know, are they, they're going to be there at the end of the day. We'll see. But right now, I mean, we're a quarter way of the season. It's a pretty good indicator. We're past the early, you know, offenses struggle a little bit early and you're coming out of training camp and how good are you really? I think we're past that point. I think the Giants certainly deserve to be looked at as real. And that'll be maybe the most interesting game of the weekend. Baltimore goes to New York to play the Giants this coming Sunday. Um, in Dallas, you and I know Dallas. Um, Dak Prescott starts the opener. They look terrible on offense. He's still Dak Prescott. He breaks his thumb. In comes Cooper Rush. They've ripped off a four-game win streak. Defense is unbelievable. Um I'm not going to ask you if there's a quarterback controversy, but is there a quarterback controversy brewing in Dallas? I'm not saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> right, uh, right. You're, when you're winning and you're playing as well as as they are uh, behind this quarterback. And now, again, he only threw the ball 16 times. You know, they had 160 yards rushing. And and so I, I don't think any of us is ready to stand and say, okay, let's, let's think about this guy as the Hall of Famer. Um, this is also remember how Tony Romo kind of started out, you know, and all of a sudden got going and came in and took advantage of his opportunity. Uh, no, I, I don't think there's going to be a quarterback controversy yet, but the longer this goes and if they continue to win, uh, you always kind of go, well, you know, do you really want to, do we really want to jinx this? Dak Prescott is a better quarterback than, than Rush is right now. But this young man's building a little bit of a resume. So fortunately, they don't have to deal with it right now. And they'll probably take care of itself. But if they continue their winning ways, yeah, particularly at being the Dallas Cowboys and all that goes on with it being the Dallas Cowboys, you know, they're going to say, no, we, we don't have a quarterback controversy here. Well, you don't have a say in it because the fans and we all, we're going we're to make one of it. Uh, last thing I want to ask you about is um, the decision by Brandon uh, Staley with with, um, with the Chargers on Sunday. They have the ball at their own 46-yard line. Uh, Cleveland is out of timeouts. Uh, the Chargers lead the game uh, with a minute and 14 seconds left, and he decides to go for it on fourth down, doesn't get it. Cleveland gets the ball back. They miss the field goal, and the Chargers hang on and win the game. When you were watching that, you thought what? Well, you, the chance to—it's a little goes, goes a little bit back to the Harbaugh decision last week. We talked about that you can close this thing out if you want to be aggressive. If it's something that you do uh, on a regular basis, uh, uh, you obviously have a game plan for it. You have confidence in the style that you're playing. Uh, you know that's all part of it, particularly when you're on the road. 
uh, again, these are conversations and these are decisions that you make during the course of the week with the staff, whether, okay, our, end of the game, are we going to go for two? How aggressive are we going to be on fourth down? Um, not the least of which is it's you're on the road. And, and those decisions might be different if you're at home than if you're on the road. But the ability to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, we're going to be more, a little more aggressive here. Uh, Cleveland, obviously, early on looks really, really good. And, and was moving the ball. And and uh, then, then the defense stiffened up a little bit and, and uh, the Chargers came back a little bit. But that may have been in part of his mind too, going, look, I, if I can close this thing out, being a little more aggressive, that's what I'm going to do. And I didn't turn out. It still turned out for them. Uh, but the fact that, you know, the fact that they, they, again, you talk about a team that had the right formula to go on the road and rush for better than 230 yards. You know, they, 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 you know, early on, it looked like all Cleveland when I was watching that game. And then all of a sudden, uh, the Chargers just kept coming and coming and ran the ball. I mean, it's not like Cleveland didn't run. They had two, over 200 yards. So both these teams' ability to run was, was impressive. Yeah, Austin Eckler only carried 16 times for 173 yards in that game. Well, Brian, you know, I mean, you being the big leaguer that you are, we're going to let you go so you can move on from off the bench from tiny little Hamilton, Ohio, to go join your good friend and mine, Colin Cowherd. So we wish you the very best on that show. Well, I, well he's nicer to me than you are. He doesn't second guess me the way you the way you used to. <laughs> All right, my man. Uh, have a great day. Thanks for your time. Tell Kim and everybody we said hello. And we'll talk to you next week. We'll do it. All right, Brandon, Brian Billick, kind enough to join us uh, and get his thoughts. I, I just love hearing the inside stuff about, you know, things you decide ahead of time. Um, uh, when you're game planning for a team, I, 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 and I'll have to ask Brian about it some other time, about, you know, you always hear about halftime adjustments. But I'm wondering about, you know, in-game adjustments. And... I still can't figure the whole Browns thing, just like I can't figure the Bengals thing, but the Browns thing. I, I can't understand how Nick Chubb uh, is carrying the ball 17 times a game. I, I, I just don't get it. They had so many moments in that game where they had Kareem Hunt, who's a nice player. I mean, Kareem Hunt's a really nice player, and he might be the best number two back in the NFL. In fact, he is the best number two back in the NFL. But Chubb is the second best overall running back in the NFL right now behind only Saquon Barkley. And he's getting the, the, the ball 17 times. We'll ask Brian about it some other time. All right. Uh, we got lots going on today. Tracy Jones coming up later on in the program. So stick around. This is Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. Welcome back to Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. Going to talk a minute about analytics, and I'd like to get this woman on the show sometime. Her name is Cynthia Freeland. Uh, apparently, she does all the analytics the, the, for the NFL Network, and uh, she's been asked a lot of questions about analytics and, and, and what do you do and trying to draw some analogy. So he, here's what she said. She said, let's see if this works. She says, I use a map app to get anywhere. Says, I live in LA, traffic's a mess. Says, I type in my destination and there are several options with different minute and miles routes that pop up. Places I'm more familiar with, uh, I'll use one. Other places, I'll do a blend of something else. 
The app is my analytics office. Does it mean it's always the best route? No. There are accidents or construction, et cetera, that made it look clear. But the point is, she says, I increase my likelihood of making the best decision for me. And I also learn the ways that the app and how it measures is imperfect so I can get even better with my own decisions. Says, look, there's a lot going on here. It's not one versus the other. Analytics and gut feel work together. And analytics are tools in the toolbox of coaches and staffs to improve decision-making, not a binary rule that anyone is beholden to. Okay, that's good stuff there. Uh, she she kind of tries to dumb it down, if you will, from, um, from guys like me. Okay, fellas... Um, if you go back to week one of the NFL season, now these are all very different scenarios. So uh, her point is, is well made. Week one, the Giants, with time expired, score a touchdown, uh, and they have a decision to make. Are they going for the win, which would mean they convert on a two-point attempt, two-point try, or do they kick the extra point and send it into overtime? This was the first game as a head coach for Brian Dayball uh, in the National Football League. He said before training camp ever started, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to have our players make plays, and we're going for it. He went for it. It worked. They win the game. Last play of the game. Okay, You either win or you lose on one single play. We go to John Harbaugh two weeks ago, deciding to go for it. And down at the one-yard line, Lamar Jackson throws a pick. Buffalo goes down the field, kicks a field goal to win the game as time expires. Straley over the weekend, uh, Staley over the weekend, the coach in San, uh, the L.A. Chargers, uh, we just walked through the situation. His team leads. They're basically at midfield. Cleveland's out of timeouts. 114 to go. Fourth down, they throw incomplete. Browns get the ball, chance to win the game with a field goal. Cleveland misses a field goal, so the L.A. Chargers win the game. And then you come to last night. Josh McDaniels, head coach of the Raiders, they're one and three. Um, there's four and a half minutes left in the game. So this one is quite different than the, than the decision certainly made by Dayball week one. There's four and a half to go. Uh, after slowing down the Chiefs early in the game, the Chiefs seemingly are scoring on every single possession they have, uh, basically starting at halftime. And he acknowledged as much uh, after the game. It's uh, a, a one-point spread. They score a touchdown on an unbelievable throw by Carr to Devontae Adams. 45-yard, 50-yard touchdown. Four and a half to go. They're down one. They decide to go for two. With four and a half to go. They come up inches short on a run to Jacobs. Uh, and they lose the game by one. Uh, Kansas City did get the ball back. Kansas City did have to punt. Uh, the Raiders got the ball back. Uh, made another weird decision on fourth down. You know, on, on, on fourth or on, on the two-point try. They run it with Jacobs. And he comes up short on the fourth down and one. They throw it to, I don't know who they were throwing the ball to, Devontae Adams or Hunter Renfro. They ran into each other. 
Uh, and that's the way the game ended. They had a chance to kick a field goal and win the game. All right, fellas, with all that, there's a lot of hot air there. Um, what are your thoughts on his decision with four and a half to go to try the two-point conversion rather than tie the game with four and a half to go? Because it seems to me, if you don't believe in your defense... And that's fine. I mean, Kansas City gave you reason not to believe in your defense. But wouldn't you rather at least take the chance of being in a tie game? And, and if you could come up with a stop, yeah, if you could come up with a stop, you win the game if you get the two-point conversion. But, you know, wouldn't you rather be tied than behind with four and a half to go and the other team's getting the ball? I mean... <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from. Um, the thing is, not only does he not trust his own defense, I don't think he really trusts his offense either to get it done in overtime. So that's why I don't feel like they went for the tie necessarily because the rules um, in overtime, uh, the new ones are only for the playoffs, right? Yeah. Yeah, so if Mahomes gets the ball in overtime – then it's pretty much a wrap at that point. But if they go for the win and they get a stop, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's really in a, it's a tough spot to be in because I don't feel like McDaniels really trusted either side of his team to get it done, which is really the root of the issue on this. You know, like going for two or going for the field goal, he already admitted that he couldn't stop Mahomes. So... I don't even really see why there's a, a point in even tying it because he knew he was going to lose. Here's here's the thing in my mind, Casey, I don't mean to cut you off. Oh, go ahead. Brandon Staley, you brought up Brandon Staley. We know who Brandon Staley is. He's true to his word. He's true to his gut feeling. He's the same coach he's always been. He's going to go for it on fourth down. We saw him go for it on fourth down on Sunday in his own territory. Chargers survived that one against the Browns. If the Browns were a little bit better, maybe they should have probably should have won that game. It's a different situation with the Raiders and the Chiefs last night. I am somebody that always loves to be aggressive. I love it when coaches go for it. I love it when coaches take the chance. But it's something I talk about in gambling too sometimes where you see something and you say you look at a line in a game and you say, "Oh, that's too good to be true. Do I want to do I want to fade myself because everybody's going one way, I'm going to go the other way. What what, what how do I want to decide how I want to make this decision?" And last night, the time left in the game was what I had a problem with. I like going for it on fourth down on the road against an offense like Patrick Mahomes. You try and win the game. But you're not trying to win the game with over four minutes left mm -hmm. in the game. Because Patrick Mahomes can come back down and score. They can score a touchdown. They can get inside the 40-yard line and kick a field goal. And they had already had a field goal kicker who set a personal best just before halftime by hitting one from 59 yards. Yeah, exactly. So you can come down and potentially have a, a two- or three-minute drive and still get the ball back. And look at what they had just done you know, going over the top to Devontae Adams. They had had some success. They scored 20 points in the first half of the game. Granted, they barely did anything offensively yep. in the second half. But – the way that that game played out, the only reason I had an issue with it, Tom, 
and I know I'm, I lean more aggressive. I guess I lean more new age than a lot of people. And maybe that's just because I'm younger and I enjoy it and it makes the game more exciting. And I also didn't have a vested interest in who won that game last night outside of my betting pick of the Raiders plus seven and a half. Outside of that, I'm not a fan of either team. I like the excitement and I like the decision by these coaches now to go for it and try and win the game on the road in an environment like that. But with the time left, that's where you start to have an issue because you're giving your you have a chance to get the ball back. It's not like there's a minute and a half left, you know, or or 40 seconds left, and and you're forcing Mahomes to have to take some chances. That's the difference because if there's 45 seconds left in the game, you're forcing Mahomes to have to air the ball out. You're forcing him to try and get the ball to to Travis Kelsey, who, like you said earlier in the show, let, had less than 30 yards in the game. It wasn't like he was going down the field and and had 140 yards and four touchdowns. You're forcing Mahomes to have to make plays that we've seen time and again. Just ask the Bills from last year. You've seen Mahomes time and again do it with less than a minute left. But that's a heck of a lot less cushion than four minutes left. So that's where I start to have an issue with going for two down one. And, and you look the other side. You look at Andy Reid going for two up seven, right? On the possession before that, the Chiefs score a touchdown. Gamblers everywhere are going crazy because the line is seven. You kick the extra point, you make it eight. Everybody's freaking out one way or the other. Chiefs fans, you're thinking, okay, just kick the extra point and make the Raiders go for the two-point conversion. Mm -hmm. Force their hand, make them go for two. And then we're not even having this conversation in the first place. I think that was an underrated a decision that people aren't talking as much about because it paid off. It's sort of in the same breath that we're talking about the Justin Tucker field goal to win the game on Sunday night for the Ravens. If, if Justin Tucker, for some reason, I mean, he's only missed one of those in his career, but if that, if that field goal goes off the upright, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday talking about it, and, and I agreed with the point. If Justin Tucker misses that field goal, the entire narrative about that Bengals game is different. In fans' minds, it shouldn't be, but that's how it is in, in fans' minds. Oh, I, I you know, what? I, entire, I don't agree with that at all. The I mean, because the look, Justin Tucker, like you, I mean, the probability of Justin Tucker nailing a field goal to win a game, which he has done, Lord knows how many times, right, is much more likely than you getting a converting a two-point conversion. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm, I'm talking about them as different scenarios. I'm talking about revisionist history of the Bengals game. It, I'm saying if. It, it didn't happen. We don't need to go back and talk about it. But I'm saying if the Bengals win that game because Justin Tucker somehow misses a field goal, we're not sitting here the last two days for four hours on this show talking about how the Bengals need to do this and this and this and this. Because the Bengals won, and, no, it, yeah, yeah. and it all yeah, worked yeah, I out. Get you. I got you. So got now you. when you look at, at the Raiders last night, if they convert, who knows if they still win that game because there's four minutes left on the clock, and that's plenty of time for Patrick Mahomes to go down there and win. So that's, that's in the end, where I had the issue yeah. with it, Casey. And Mahomes only took, what, like 15 seconds to go down there in uh, the divisional round to score? Well, how, how long was it? Like 30 seconds? Uh, last year against the Bills? Yeah. Yeah. It was insane. So – you can't leave four minutes on there anyways if you want to win. So the idea had to be we got to get a stop. And 
they probably just, you know, if you look at it and if they gave them a touchdown quickly and they got the ball back and they had converted a two-pointer, a touchdown wins them the game and they have time on their side. Now, whether or not they were willing to let Mahomes just go down there and score right away, I mean, I, I've never heard of such a thing. Well, really. well, the bottom line is they stopped him the next round. Yeah. So, I mean, look, you can, you, can, you can split hairs here and you say, well, if we can point the two-point conversion, we stop and we got the ball back, we can run out the clock. But McDaniel's point was we had not stopped them the entire game. Well, if that's the case, wouldn't you want to take the chance being in a tie game at the very minimum, and the point after is a 90-something percent chance. It's gone down recently since they moved it back. But, but, but look, Carlson's one of the best in the league. What's he made, like 38, 39 in a row now of field goals, right? It's closing in on the all-time record. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just and, – and, and there were people out there that gave me a beating when I was broadcasting baseball about not embracing analytics um, because uh, George Will – uh, said, I thought the most insightful point I've heard about analytics as it pertains to baseball yet. Analytics, the best thing for the pitcher. Analytics, the best thing for the hitter. Analytics, the worst thing for the sport of baseball. Now, you can believe that or you not believe that. I don't know if it's the worst thing for baseball, but um, it, it has certainly changed the very complexion of the game. Another topic we got to get into tomorrow is this stuff with quarterbacks. You mean rough in the passer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is out of control. Well, actually, as you say that, I just saw a tweet uh, that the NFL was going to start taking a look at how that was officiated. Yeah, because, I mean, last night... That was bad. ...was worse than the Tom Brady. As a Raiders plus seven holder, I thought it was a magnificent well, call, of course, Tom. Of course. I thought it was... I thought the Stripes did a great job last night. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> I'm sure you did. All right. Um, do we have Tracy Jones lined up yet? We do. We do? We do. Oh, my goodness. Let's check in with our main man, Tracy Jones, who is in some highfalutin <laughs> resort uh, in Mexico. Tracy, you've got the shades on. you got the sunshine. I assume that's the, 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 the uh, gulf or the ocean behind you there. What do you got going on? I, I, I got to tell you, Tom, this place is an absolute dump. It was supposed to be some six-star <laughs> resort. And uh, I'm not liking it. Can you hear the construction over here? There, there we got the construction over there. Um, there's a like a swamp right in front of me. It's a dump. And I'm very disappointed. My wife's disappointed. We've tried to get different rooms. We can't get different rooms. She's threatened me to go Giselle on me. And you know what that means. <laughs> that means it'll cost me a few million dollars. I'm very upset, and I'll tell you who I'm mad at too, Tom, and that's you. You know, I had to do it, listen to this, six o'clock in the morning, I get this banging on my door, and I'm going, who in the hell is this? And I yell, yes, can I help you? Yeah, this is Chatterbox Telemundo ready for your interview. <laughs> really, Tom? At six o'clock in the morning, what's the matter with you? Hey, we had the crew, you know, look, they're getting a full day's wages down there. And, uh, and, and we, I, I'm sorry they banged on the door so early. So that's on me. Uh, tell me, because look, anybody who's had the opportunity, and not everybody has, but everybody who's had the opportunity to travel out of the United States, 
anywhere. Pick a spot. But right. especially when it comes, at least based in, 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 uh, in my experience, because I lived in Arizona for a long time, uh, you could drive down to Mexico. You had a lot of direct flights to different resorts in Mexico. And there are beautiful places and very beautiful people. I love the people of Mexico. Yes, they are. But you roll yes. the dice when you go down there a little bit. And it sounds like you rolled the dice. Did you do all this planning yourself? Are you no, putting this I, on Danae? Did. did you use a, uh, a, a, a travel? What's the word I'm using? Uh, I'm thinking of. Agent. A travel agent? We have what? A yeah, we have a special travel agent that we go through. And I should have got the one warning sign. As soon as we stepped off the plane in Mexico, we were greeted by our driver. And he says, hey, let me just, before we get in the car, because I'm going to take you to this six-star resort, uh, can you please put the mask on? So I'm thinking, really? That's what we're doing? So we put the mask on. I'm sitting in the back seat, and I'm nervous, Tom. I'm really nervous. And Danae's like giggling. I says, Danae, are you nervous? Are you all right? She says, no, I'm all right with the mask. My ex-boyfriend used to put a ma have a mask on me all the time. It was not a big deal. She says, are they going to mix in some handcuffs as well? Oh I didn't God. like that, Tom. <laughs> Tom? <laughs> <laughs> can, 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 l listen okay Tom you get there first of all yeah. I've never heard of a six star resort I mean I'm That's not the I'm kind of guy normally first. that gets to stay in, 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 in four or five star resorts you say this place is a six star resort is that unique to maybe the the sort of income level a guy like you has and has access to right. that the rest of us don't even know exist it's a very special place. Uh, they very. It's kind of a who's who. Before you make reservations, you first have to send them a W-2 um, just to know that you have that income to be in a place like this. And Tom, I'll tell you, it started, and all joking aside, um, it started off really tough for Danae and I. We got on the plane. Uh, we fly first class, of course. And you have these people coming from the back cabin in to use our bathroom. That's <laughs> our bathroom. And finally, I had to st stop one lady. She looked like... Uh, no, you did. You did not like, stop somebody. Yes, I did. She, she looked like Oprah, a fat Oprah. Coming in to use our bathroom, I'm thinking, ma'am, you're going to have to use your own bathroom back there. That's, that's why you fly coach. I fly first class. We have special bathrooms. You know that, Tom. We have a bidet in our first class, right? Have you ever had that? No, first class bathroom? No, 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 but just yeah. you, you guys, the ham and egg the two ham and eggers right there. Have you guys ever flown? I know you've taken the bus, but have you yeah, ever flown on an I, airplane? I, I, I've, I've flown before. I've flown all over. No, I, okay. sorry, Tracy. I, I take a bike wherever I need to go. Okay. That's what I thought. But please, if you take a flight, do not use our bathroom, my bathroom, please. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think of it. That's you have to know your roles and responsibilities, and you have to be able to earn that bidet. And quite honestly, have not earned that yet. So Pretty you nice get down that. there, Tracy. Before we get into uh, some serious topics, I, I just want you get down there. I mean, what, what you just panned there for a second. Uh, it, it looks spectacular. I mean, it looks like a beautiful day. There's the water out there. Uh, the building right. or the resort part, and you're saying it's it's um, unacceptable. 
it's just okay. I mean, this isn't a room that a major league baseball player should have. Should he? Shouldn't it be straight out to the ocean? I don't need this swamp down here. I don't need construction workers right here. Uh, Tracy Jones was not happy with his room, and he's tried to get it switched a couple of times, uh, and Tracy Jones will go downstairs again and complain. Well, what are you going to complain about? I mean, it's not like the, uh, the construction's going to stop. There, every room probably is subjected to the noise uh, of the construction. I mean, they're down there trying to make a living and better their product. W where are you going to go? Right. Well, I, I can go on the other side. There's a whole other side, and they could put me facing the ocean. And that's usually how, where I stay. Mm. But, Tom, if you do you want me to go through a divorce? No, definitely not. i got to make a move here. Yeah, I don't want that. So she's unhappy. I've already done it once. Yeah. Did she not have any say in this whole thing about where you were going and where you were staying? Or did you do this to some kind of surprise or what? I, I surprised her. Monday was our 13th anniversary. Mm. And uh, we've been together 20 years, married for 13. And so I kind of surprised her with this trip. And like I said, she... It started off good for us. She had the blindfold hoping for the handcuffs. But, you know, we, we had a good time last night. I got 13 years is a long time to be married, Tom. It is. It is. Uh, I've been married almost 22. I'm well aware of that. Uh, are you able to watch? I mean, they love baseball down in Mexico uh, and all over. You know, you, you drift into the Caribbean and you get down to Central America and South America and Major League Baseball players are coming from all over the globe, especially uh, Spanish-speaking countries. Are you going to watch the baseball playoffs today, or are you spending most of the time kind of hanging out by the beach, the pool, whatever? Right. I did watch when Musgrave was pitching. And yeah, what did you think of that whole thing, up, by the way? You know, it was, it was rather interesting as far as a baseball nerd like myself and a, really a baseball nerd like yourself and the Ham and Anger boys. Um, that the, the, the spin rotation, right? The spin right. on the ball was increased, and that's why they thought he was using a substance. And he was, I think it was his left ear, well, it was his right ear. And did you see every, there was something on there, but he never went to it. I mean, I, I he never went to his ear. And Buck Showalter thought he was using some kind of foreign substance. And I'll tell you what I like is when Musgrave turned to the dugout and goes, go F yourself. Yeah. I thought was uh, touching. All right, let, let, let me ask you this. And, and, and you know, I, I, I jumped on the New York uh, and looked at the New York papers yesterday because it's so entertaining when they start getting into to things, especially when things go bad uh, for teams in New York. And the Mets, most people thought they won 101 games during the season. Uh, my dad, uh, I had him on last week, and he thought the Mets were going to steamroll the Padres. And, you know, I thought, well, I don't know about that. Padres are pretty good, um, but the Padres end up winning the series. When you're a player on the Mets team uh, and you're getting embarrassed here in, in game three uh, on your home turf, uh, there was still a long way to go. I think they asked to check him in the sixth inning, if I'm not mistaken, and by that point it was four or five to nothing in favor of the Padres. Is that one of those where, you know, the players are, are kind of like when, when it turns out that there's nothing there, there's no there there, do they start looking down at, you know, the manager and kind of thinking, man, it, it, this is minor No, I'll tell you what here. it was. It was kind of, it was a kind of 
way of disrupting a pitcher who's on a roll. I've seen it done before. Tony Larusa did that with Randy Johnson when I was playing for the Mariners. And Randy, you know, Randy gets on a roll. It's he can get them all out, right? And all of a sudden, he started accusing Randy Johnson of doctoring the ball. And Randy did not need to doctor the ball. And he just tried to disrupt him from the, the, the momentum that he had when he was pitching. And I think that's what Buck Showalter saw. He says, you know, we're not going to beat this guy. I got to do something to shake it up. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a pretty good move. I don't think he was using the substance, but he was on a roll and he tried to disrupt him. And I know that's what he was doing. All right, I want to ask you, as you look at this next round, uh, this next, uh, you know, the, the division series, best out of five that begin tonight, uh, or today or tonight, uh, Cleveland sweeps its series, taking on the Yankees now in New York. Seattle sweeps its series over Toronto, now playing Dusty Baker and the Astros. Philadelphia right. sweeps its series over the Cardinals, now taking on Atlanta. And then San Diego and the Dodgers after playing 19 times during the season. Dodgers won 14. You're a Southern California yeah, guy. Yeah, they did. Um, right. Any, any of those series, one or two, that you're really going to be keeping an eye on, maybe more so than some of the others? And, Tom, you made a great point. The Dodgers dominated the Padres. I mean, swept them, I think, in a couple of four-game sets. Yep. I'm going to go with the Padres in this series. I think they're going to pull off an upset. Because, like the point that you made, the Dodgers have won way too many games against the Padres because the Padres have a pretty good team. And I think the Padres are in a bit of a role. So I thought the Dodgers were going to make the World Series. I don't feel that way now. You're kidding. You think San Diego is going to beat the Dodgers? I do. Tom, just let me refresh your memory. Remember, I played the game and you didn't. So I see things that you people don't see. Do you Have you think... ever tried this vodka? Have you ever tried this stuff? Oh, Sky Vodka? Are you yeah. having it in the morning? <laughs> Tom, I'm on vacation. Relax. You know, as they say, Tracy, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, but that somewhere is not in Mexico. What time is it? It's That's probably earlier there now that I think about it. Right? Yeah, I'll just... I'll just keep my drunk on. I, I started last night. I'll just keep it on throughout the day. How's that? So when you said all-inclusive, and, and, you know, you really look down your nose, and today we have Paul in for Brandon. Casey is here. You know, you sort of made reference that guys like that would not understand that term all-inclusive. Um, is that part of it to your liking so far? Short albeit I, I, being there. Well, yeah, I, I think – where they screwed up. First of all, as you guys know, I don't drink Sky Vodka. What do I drink, guys? Grey Goose. That's right. I don't drink this trash. So there's a screw-up right there. Um, It's been all right. I like the nude beach. Clothing optional's been pretty good. That was fun. Uh, The food, pretty good. My lobster tail was, uh, was steamed, not broiled. I like it broiled. I mean, so a couple of hiccups. And the room, of course. It's been a disaster. But all in all, it's been all right. It's nice. You guys ought to try it once. Save your nickels. Well, you better save lots of $100 bills to afford something like this. But it it, it is nice. Well, you know, Casey's getting married in June. Uh, Casey, you think you're going to pick Tracy's Jones's mind or or, uh, about getting married to begin with? 
and then perhaps a honeymoon destination. Yeah. Or have you already made that decision? Well, we haven't made a uh, honeymoon destination yet, but um, I mean, uh, just according to Tracy and how terrible his room has been, maybe the price will go down there. and Maybe I can come join him or go stay where he's yeah. at, the six-star hotel. Can I give you some advice? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Prenuptial agreement. That's what you need, Casey. Now, half of nothing is nothing right now of what you have, but sooner or later you'll acquire something or maybe she'll acquire something. But I think having a prenuptial agreement is a good decision. It'll save you a lot of money. Tom Brady wishes he had one because he's going to get hammered. And, uh, and I'll tell you what I put in my wife's uh, prenuptial agreement is I put a weight clause in. So at the end of every month, if she's five pounds overweight, oh, then I can actually God. file for divorce. <laughs> Casey, are you, are, you, are you debating going down that road? Um, no, I, I think I'll stay clear from that. Uh, I, 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 I appreciate the advice, but I'm gonna have to pass on the prenup because if I did that, you might not see me here ever again. Paul, do you have anything to add to this at all? No, I'm just sitting back and listening to the conversation. The marriage train is a little bit far down the road. My girlfriend listening probably hopes that I didn't say that. But Do you think your girlfriend is watching this show? Uh, hopefully she's teaching the youth of America right now and, and uh, furthering the education of some first graders Well, somewhere. you know, it's interesting, Paul, because Tracy, uh, Danae, a very successful working woman, Yes. Uh, uh, for many, many, many years, still is. Um, and, and obviously, Paul and Casey, uh, and Paul's case girlfriend, Casey's case in um, his fiance, uh, are, are working women, hard at work. Um, that, that, that's got to be a plus, right? Is marrying a woman who's out in the working world? Oh, one second. Without a doubt. Uh, my wife is actually more successful than I am. Wait a minute, I shouldn't say more successful because it's hard to beat a major league baseball player. She makes more money than I do. And I'm very proud of her. She started off uh, making $6 an hour and now she's well into to six figures. She started off when she was 17 working for this company wearing a short little mini dress and uh, really progressed, moved her way up the ladder. And like I said, I'm really proud of her. And I'm really proud of the money that she makes because I love money. Money has never let me down, Tommy. I love <laughs> well, it. I thought you being this uh, money manager, do you manage her money, by the way? Is it shared money? I mean, you talked about a prenup uh, because you are a highly successful financial planner, money manager. Uh, you are a landlord. Uh, dozens and dozens, if not well, hundreds Lord. of properties in around uh, greater Cincinnati and northern Kentucky. Um, or is your money split? Oh, <laughs> Tom, I would never commingle funds. Ever, ever. And that's fine because she does well. I do well. Uh, I just showed her the other day. This is an honest God truth. I showed her this about six months ago. Actually, how much money I have in an account. And she looked at me and goes, how did you do that? I said, well, I invest. I don't spend any money. I'm a cheap SOB. I mean, to if the truth was known, Danae picked up 95% of this trip. So yes, yeah, saving, investing, having different streams of income. 
Okay, this is a, a, a success secret that I have. You have different streams of income. If you're a successful person, very successful person, you have seven streams of income. You put it together and it ends up a pretty good, pretty good lifestyle. Um, are you going to ask me how many streams of income I have, Tom? Well, I, I was getting ready to do it, but you beat me to it. Please. Eight. Eight, Eight streams of income. Yep. Hard to believe. Fourth outfielder. <laughs> hey, you wouldn't have been a fourth outfielder and you stayed healthy. Because correct me if I'm wrong. No, no. When, when I go back and I remember these days when it was you and Eric Davis and Cal Daniels and Paul O'Neill and Barry Larkin and Kurt Stillwell and Joe Oliver and all these guys, on those Very minor league teams you played with, correct me if I'm wrong, I could be wrong on this, but I think I remember this. You were the number three hole hitter on those teams. Is that right? Yes. Barry Larkin hit leadoff. Cal Daniels hit second. I hit third. Eric Davis hit fourth. Paul O'Neill hit fifth. Lloyd McClendon hit sixth. Joe Oliver hit seventh. I think Jeff Treadway, or no, uh, Stillwell hit eighth. How about that team? It's a pretty good team. It's Did you guys win a minor league champ? Did that team win a minor league championship? Uh, three of them. Three of them. One How of them important do you think that is, Tracy? All kidding aside, um, because I heard somebody talking about this the other day about the Reds, and they've made all these trades here in the last uh, number of months, going back before the season started, then during the season. And by all accounts, they've acquired a ton of really good young talent, but talent that yes. right now is primarily at the single A, high A, double A level. There are exceptions to that, but most of them are in that group. Is it important for guys to learn how to win together at the minor league level, or is it just all about the individual player development? God, that's such a good question. I used to think it was just developing players that can play in the big leagues. But you start mentioning some of those names, Tom, and I don't like to live in the past. You know me. I don't like to talk about you know, stuff I've done or anything like that. But some of those players were pretty good. And not, those players, I played with those guys that you mentioned, Eric Davis, Paul O'Neill, Cal Daniels, uh, Sabo, Larkin. Uh, I played with those guys in an instructional ball team, and none of those guys had reached AAA. Let me throw in a couple other guys. There was Tom Browning and Rob Dibble <laughs> and Norm Charlton. I mean, there's some pretty good players right there. We had good time. And we used to say, man, if I'd have been playing in the Tiger organization or the Philly organization, hell, I'd be in the big leagues right now because the talent was so good with the Reds. And I think that the Reds are getting to that point now. They've got a pretty good farm system. I think they were ranked fourth by Baseball America. Uh, so I think the future, I don't want to be flip-floppy again because <laughs> they've got a long ways to go. But I, I think they have some talent in that farm system. Casey's dad just wrote in. And he has a question. He says, Tracy, are you trying to get Casey into a state of SFSB? Fatal sperm backup? Is that what I we're talking about? I think that's what you told me it was a few weeks ago. Casey, it's, Casey, it's not a big deal. I've had it since I've been married. 
I think Tom has it ever since he got fired from Fox. <laughs> I mean, you just got relief today, though, or yesterday, right? No. No? Oh, <laughs> that's unfortunate. Still nothing. No. Still I mean, on the bench. You, you, <laughs> yeah, you, gotta, you ask a married man that question, that's, that's going to be the same answer over and over and over again. Period. So what are your plans today? Well, no, let me back up a second. You, you, you really didn't go down to the nude beach yesterday, did you? I mean, for real? No, I'm actually pretty modest. <laughs> I'm one of those guys that as soon as he, he took a shower in the locker room, put it on real quick. It's one of those guys. No, but D Danae likes to go to those places and check things out. She likes to compare her husband to other, you know, and I don't want to get into details, Tom. But, I, but as I told you last week, and my nickname in high school was what? The tripod. <laughs> Tom, are you there? <laughs> I don't know if I'm here or not. Or whether I'm watching everything. Hey, Tom, how's your, how's your mother-in-law doing? She still can't stand me, right? You know, you know what? It's funny you bring that up because um, she brought she finally saw the segment we did where you came out uh and offered for her to go i think you said it was on ebay where there yeah. are a number of tracy jones items dozens and dozens of them spanning your uh glorious career with five different teams and that she could pick one out so she said she's going to do that and she had no problem whatsoever with anything you've said about her she has no problem. What She asked me, she says, where did he get that? And I said, well, I said, you didn't say it to me. And, and, and so therefore, right. I didn't say it to him. I said, you must have said it to my dad. I said, and, and then my dad will go tell Tracy that. So, so she said, she said that, you know, if you misconstrued or whatever the case may be, her comments, that she was sorry about that. She loves this segment and you coming on twice a week. She wants to see more of it. Okay, did she did she get an item from eBay? I know she's really old mm -hmm. and she probably doesn't know what eBay's all about. Was she able to pick out an item? I mean, I She told wasn't her able to time. pick out an item yet. She's going to and then I okay. told her that we would find a way for you to come out to the house because I told her we probably couldn't get into your building. Uh, there are probably no. gates and, and and a doorman and all that kind of thing, so we probably couldn't get in down there to get you to sign something. Yeah, like, no, she'd be willing to come outside and sign it. And I know you don't do much of that, right? Well, tell her I'll meet her at the party source. That seems like a place that your mother-in-law might be or visit a lot. <laughs> hey, Tom, I got one more person that doesn't like the show. Who? My wife. Why? She says, she comes in last time I did the show and she says, you know, your humor is childish and corny i said you don't think it's entertaining at all she goes no i don't get your sense of humor and she goes no wonder people don't like you and i turned to her and she looked at me and she goes what's really bad trace is people don't know you're a really great guy How about i that? think it comes across I, I would beg to differ with danae i think you come across as being a really good guy I think your humor is fantastic. Uh, I think every, I mean, we're setting record numbers every time you show up. 
Our, our viewership goes through the roof. So um, I would beg to differ with Danae on this one. I, I, I think you're on your game on this show. Does she not want you to do it anymore? Well, she doesn't. Well, we might be getting a divorce if I don't change rooms here. Um, no, I think she's all right. She does her thing. I do my. But she wants me to uh, break it down more. You know, talk about Joey's bat, Joey Votto's batting stance and how he can go oppo taco when he wants to. Things like that. He, she doesn't want me to talk about, you know, tripod and having three, you know, girlfriends, <laughs> homecoming queens. She doesn't like that stuff. I told her don't watch them. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's the thing. If you don't like it, don't watch. You're exactly right. Just turn the channel. But All I right, Tracy. Well, I, I'm going to wish you well. How are you going to handle yourself before I let you go? How are you yeah. going to handle yourself when you go downstairs? Because you're a savvy guy, okay? Right. When you go downstairs and, you know, you ask for the hotel manager, general manager, right there at the front desk, right? Because you've tried the phone call thing. I would imagine it's not working out about changing rooms. So you're going to walk down there and you are going to say what? I'm not going to say anything this time tom what i'm going to do and this never fails it does when i'm pulled over from a policeman maybe from speeding i'm just going to flip the girl a baseball card sign <laughs> maybe the expos i'm not sure the giants i don't know but i'm just going to give her a, ba a baseball player and say nothing and you watch it but i bet you i get a change of room oh you might get a change of room i'm not so sure where it's, you, you, it's where you want to be all right. Tracy, hit that like button. Hit that like button. Boom. Okay. Smash it. All right. Well, I will see you on uh, Thursday. Have a great time. Tell Danae we said hello. And, and please be careful down there. Uh, and enjoy yourself. Hasta la vista, Tomas. <laughs> Adios, as they say in Espanol. Tracy Jones, kind enough to join us. The guy's the best. Um, and he's at it with Sky Vodka early in the morning. Let's take one final break, and then we have our cherry on top. This is Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Just about out of time, and as always, we end our show with the cherry on top, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Uh, Casey, you teeing this one up? Yeah, um, so just last night, um, motions got high for the Raiders after that painful loss, and um, someone got in the way of Devontae Adams, and he didn't like it. You know, before you, 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 before you run this, because I did not see it, but um, I did um, read about it this morning, and I, have, I still haven't seen it, and I want to make sure that I get to this uh, for a cherry on top of the cherry on top. Please run it. This is Devontae yep. Adams, right? Yep. And, uh, ooh, just got in the way of him and he just pushed him right over um Devontae Adams came out today after shoving this cameraman yep. he was just doing and, his job and I put in the the apology here okay you got it okay sorry uh to the guy I pushed over after the game was very frustrated at the way the game ended and when he ran in front of me as I exited that was my reaction and I felt horrible immediately that's not me my apologies uh, man, hope to see, uh, hope you see this. And I'm sure that uh, the guy saw it. And, uh, and good for Devontae Adams coming out right away. He made a mistake. 
Uh, he came out right away, owns it. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, if I were a betting man, because, oh, you know, you look through the track record, and this is where in society I think sometimes, you know, there are a lot of people out there that, that think they've never made a mistake in their lives when it comes to judging other people and mistakes that they make, is that um, Devontae Adams has a track record. And it's track record that through his career, you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I might be totally wrong. I never remember him being anything like something like this happening. No, I don't think so either. But I will say this. I, I worked in broadcast crews like that, um, mainly Cincinnati area for like the Bengals and whatnot. And they tell you, do not walk in front of players. Do not get in their way. Don't, you know, don't get in front of the tunnels. Um, not that I'm trying to put blame on that guy. It was definitely, he was probably just trying to do his job, right? It but, says here he is a freelancer working for ESPN's Monday Night Football, uh, went to police, uh, who told TMZ they are investigating this. Wow. The guy went to police? I, again, I, this is in the article on ESPN Whoa. right now. It just says, says the man, comma, who was a freelancer working for ESPN's Monday Night Football, comma, went to police, who told TMZ they are investigating. Wow. That's surprising. That's, that's big news, too. Now, that's... that might have been after the fact before Devontae Adams came out and apologized. Um, and, and I don't know if this guy's looking to press charges or anything else. I, I, the whole thing, everybody take a breath. Yeah, it says, I'm reading the TMZ article right now. It says, the photographer shoved to the ground by Devontae Adams after the game has officially filed a police report against the NFL superstar claiming he was injured during the incident and had to go to the hospital. Wow. What? He had to go to the hospital? Authorities tell us the man claimed he was the victim of an assault. They say he told them he suffered injuries, though they were not thought to be life-threatening. And, and that he was later transported to the hospital. Cops say they are investigating it all and following the completion of the probe, detectives will coordinate with the applicable city or state prosecutor to determine any applicable charges. Sounds like we got a I, sounds like we got a situation on our hands here. Yeah, I'm before I make any rash reaction to that, they tell you not to walk in front of players. They they tell you don't don't do it. Don't walk through the tunnels while they're leaving. You gotta wait. Um, I'm really surprised. It didn't seem like he, you know. It, I mean, I, I guess you got knocked over, hit the back of his head, maybe a concussion. Like the, it didn't say what his injuries were at all or anything like that. Litigious right? society that we live in today, it's 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 just over the top. I. Boy, I wish now we wouldn't even have run that because um, I, I just – I hope the guy's all right, and I hope they can find a way to move on. I hope and pray he really is all right. I sincerely mean that. You can see somebody fall down, doesn't look like much. Something may have seriously happened to somebody. I don't know. I'm not there. I'm not him. But, jeez, um, does it ever end. Uh, all right, boys, enjoyed it. A lot of fun. Uh, tomorrow, we have the big interview. And, and I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. He's not the biggest name we've had so far, but I think he's one of the most interesting and certainly well-known around Cincinnati, and that's Dave Lapper. Oh, all right. Really Lapp. excited about that one. Let's go. I mean, there have been other guys that, you know, they might be more well-known across the country, but here in town, this is a guy to talk about the Bengals. That's a man. It's a man. And we're going to talk about his career coming out of Syracuse. 
Played in the NFL a long, long time. Looking forward to being joined by Lap. Dave Lappin tomorrow. Again, that's at 10 o'clock tomorrow. Casey, Paul, thank you. Brandon, to a lesser extent. <laughs> a lot lesser extent. Boy, what a tired shot that is. <laughs> All right. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Have a great rest of your day.